Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm the world's most well-known Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and self-proclaimed resiliency expert. I'm the founder of the International to Success uh, book series, as well as the founder of Journey to Success Radio. And you can find out more about me in this interview and our show at the website, which is the same name as the radio. It's journeytosuccessradio.com. I have an exciting guest today, uh, someone that I met uh, two or three weeks ago, I guess now, at Mo Mondays in Niagara Falls, uh, hosted by Ronnie Fisher. And uh, our guest today was one of the speakers at our event, amazing lady, and uh, I was so impressed that I wanted to make sure that uh, I got her on the show today. Her name is Marsha, and Marsha, you pronounce the last name for me before I get into your intro. No problem, Van Weinsberg. Marsha Van Weinsberg. Marsha spent the last 24 years as a kinesiologist and personal trainer in the field of health and wellness. She coached and mentored people on how to make physical changes to the emotional transformations in their lives. Amazing. That's important. She works with her clients to examine their thoughts, beliefs, habits, and actions. Marcia spent the last six years navigating herself through major life and family crises. She credits her personal growth, her commitment to mindset, exercise, and nutrition to being key factors in bringing her to this place today where she can share her story and impact others. No one plans on adversities such as substance abuse issues in their family, and sometimes we have to deal with situations that weren't part of our master life plan. Marsha is sharing her lessons learned and her message through coaching clients, speaking workshops, and her book, which is scheduled to be published later. Later, teen. Welcome to the show today, Marcia. Oh, thank you so much for having me here today, Tom. I really, truly appreciate it. Uh, a very important story and something we'll get into. Um, your story touched me two ways. I have a friend, Tina Aurelio, A-U-R-E-L-I-O. Don't think I've introduced you yet on Facebook. Uh, something similar happened to her son. She lost her son to oh. drug addiction. And then um, I spent a lot of time in the Ottawa Valley, very, very close friends, uh, lots of them that I have there, 35 plus years I've known them, and one of them last year uh, told my wife and I fentanyl addiction that his uh, oh, son wow. has, and this is like, I won't say, well, I'll say Hicktown because nobody in the, this small town in the Ottawa Valley is going to be listening, but... Uh, if fentanyl can be an addiction in a small town like that, it can be an addiction anywhere. And it was kind of shocking and revelatory for my wife and I to learn about this and how prevalent mm. it is, and it's in the news now. So uh, let's talk about your story. Share your story. That's why you're at Mo Mondays, and that's what you're here for, to encourage other, uh, I think, not only parents, but also <laughs> hopefully young people 
as well, right? Absolutely. Um, again, thank you so much for having me. This is a, it's a key topic that a lot of people struggle with and don't want to talk about. There's so many different topics that are hidden when we think about, you know, we're afraid to talk about whether it's embarrassment or shame or blame or guilt. And I really feel called to speak about it. So I appreciate having this opportunity to do so. I, um, as, as you introduced, I, I mean, I spent 20, almost 25 years now in the healthcare field and I have coached, mentored physical, personal, emotional changes with people. And I've had a lot of years to get fairly good at my job and work with people to make those changes. And, um, when we started to encounter drugs in our family with our boys, um, you know, it, they were 12, 13 when we first found it, um, and who knows how long it was before that. And um, I, I, I've been a very outgoing person most of my life. You know, I'm not afraid to ask for help. I'm not afraid to look for help. And I was dumbfounded. I just didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, other than the obvious of it wasn't okay, it wasn't something that um, we wanted in our house and in our family. And, you know, I mean, as you hear from most kids, most kids are doing it, da-da-da, everything else there. Um, you know, it didn't take long for us to realize that it was not a normal experimentation. And so in the early stages when I did reach out and ask for help, um, I would see everything from criticism to judgment to fix the problem, do something, be a parent, be tougher, um, take charge of your family. Uh, and so it didn't take long for me to really learn to um, shut down and not, and not reach out to people that I knew because I had no idea what to do. And we were living a very, um, you know, we had, our boys were very active in sports, very active in activities, and we were busy. And it, again, if you'd have asked me if I would have thought this would have been our life in a million years, I wouldn't have ever picked it. It just wasn't something I saw coming. And um, long and short, in those early early couple of years, it, it didn't take long to start to see that this was more than experimentation. This was definitely something that was um, controlling your life. It really was. And, you know, it was affecting our home, our family, our um, their life, their school, their sports. Um, I would say at that point, there hit a point where it really truly impacted every single aspect of their life. There was no... We had no normal anymore. We, I mean, our normal would have was scared the crap out of most parents. It was not normal in any way, shape, or form. And um, in that point, we really started to reach out and go, okay, so what are we going to do with this? Like, what do we do? And it became, I think one of my eye-openers became when I realized how little we could do as a parent. And... Mm -hmm. Again, I'm a fixer. I've, I've coached mentor people for years. So we get to the root of the problem, we get to it, we fix it, and we move on. And so in the beginning, I was very um, ashamed and embarrassed, not of my kids, but the fact that I, as a parent, couldn't fix it. Because as we, when our kids are younger, their yeah. behavior, their choices, how they act is whether we want to say so or not, is we look at as a reflection as a parent. You've done a good job. You've done a good job as a parent. Um, and 
you know, that is true to some sense, but there does come a point in time when, you know, they really do have their own brain and they do make their own decisions and you do want them to be their own people. And so then eventually it hit a point, it hit a point where it was like, you know, I, I had to find some courage to start to speak and ask for help in a much bigger scale. And my husband and I started doing a um, parents uh, group counseling session and I was petrified about walking into that room like what are people going to think of me what do I you know what it's just what did I do wrong all of these things until we walked into a room full of people and that's when it was like okay this is this is not a minor problem this is not a minor problem and we started hearing other parents who had very similar stories to us good people nothing parents who love their kids parents who were trying and um, starting to realize that we weren't alone. Like we were just not alone in any way, shape, or form. So our journey has been going on for about six years now, but we, we had many stepping stones along the way where we learned, we grew, we changed, and how we handled it. But I think the, one of the toughest lessons is, is learning that we really couldn't control or fix it. And right. that, that's, very, that's like just not as a parent what you um what there's not what you plan on and unfortunately we do we create that master plan of our life what it's going to look like you know what's what our kids are going to be like all the opportunities all the great things and this was not matching my plan in any way shape or form right right and you mentioned a few things there uh, uh when uh, my wife and i and my another good friend that uh, has known him a long time when we found out last year from our friend was at a campfire, he was quite embarrassed, his head was yeah. down, he was talking quietly. Um, after kind of explaining it all, uh, thank God, I and my wife, uh, we didn't come up with all those somewhat dumb things that people say, <laughs> because all I could honestly say was, I have really no idea in the world how what to even suggest or what you could do if you push the this if he pushes his son hard and kicks him out a small town and he has a girlfriend like you don't know where they could end up so he was like no. you know, I do like the idea of having him at least under my roof at this point the kid still was going to work every day and his dad was driving him he's like well i kind of like that he you know he's keeping his job and he needs me to drive my girlfriend's there and they're doing it so like he was stuck with what to do and my wife and my myself and my friend we we couldn't even suggest anything or say anything we we're like we just have no idea what you should do and we feel bad that we can't even give you any suggestions or ideas uh, but as you had mentioned uh, he's not alone even in a small town they're, they're like well first of all he's not alone because the, the, the his son had a girlfriend and she was doing it and she was the source of finding the person who buys it to buy it from and and I found that in in life as well especially in challenging things with life if you open up and you do get vulnerable and authentic you are you are not alone you may have to go through a, a pile of parents who say stupid things and are not going through that but at the same time if you are vulnerable and share and uh, authentic you are going to find a lot of parents in that same position which is as you said uh, it's kind of comforting and nice to know isn't it 
Well, it is, and I, I think that that's I think that that's a great um, comment. You know, I mean, in the beginning, I was pretty angry because what people would say, um, and I really I wasn't my skin wasn't thick enough yet. Let's just say it that way. It took me a while to get to here, and um, then I you know I realized I can look at it in retrospect now and realize that you know they didn't have a manual either. None of us did. They didn't know what to say. Um, and typically, I think that most people would jump into judgment because honestly, it's scary as hell that it could be your kids. And, you know, I think that for people who don't know me well, and I have friends who have younger kids, it scares them because they say, I know what you're like, and I know you're a good parent, and I know you did this, and I know you did this, and how, how did that happen? And like, but, you know, it's, I think I really came to a place of understanding that there are a number of people whose kids have cancer. There are a number of people whose kids have, like, things happen that we can't control. And we can spend a lot of time being angry. And I think that that's normal in the beginning stages. But eventually, like, the anger doesn't change anything. The anger just hurts us. It doesn't, it still doesn't change anything. And um, I finally really reached a point in life where, how I described that we were all in a rowboat and everybody's rowing different directions. Nobody's going, no one is going the same direction. And I'm not even in the boat. I'm holding onto the anchor. Like I was drowning. I was absolutely drowning. I do not know if, well, actually I do know. I do know that I would not have survived if I hadn't decided to just let go and say, this is just not mine to fix anymore. And um, it's a tough thing to do because as a person, I'm a very much a type A um, was for many years, you know, perfectionist, work hard, dig in, make things happen. Um, and then if you work, if you put in more effort, you can fix any problem. That was my mindset. Mm-hmm. And that's just, this is not the case because at the end of the day, you know, what we really do have control over is our own actions and our own, um, our own actions and our own reactions and how we handle situations. We can't, we can't control other people. We just can't. It's not, and kids are not, spouse, parents, none of that we can control. So the amount of energy I was spending trying to fix everyone else, yet not take care of myself in the process, was um, was completely backwards. I think it's normal what I did, but mm-hmm. I think it was completely backwards. And it didn't help anyone or them or the situation at all. So, you know, I know I, I made mistakes in how I handled it. I completely own that. Um, but again, I did the best I could. And at the end of the day, as I like to say, was there ever any uh, was there ever any lack of clarity about how I felt about drugs in my home and in our life? And the answer is always no. And I'm like, okay. So there was no there was no gray area. There was no discrepancy. I was clear. Um, and again, like again, this is where some parents might listen to this. Go, okay. Well, all kids experiment. And I mean, we were way past this point. Like, this is way past ex- normal experimentation. Okay. This was not going to school, not coming home for weeks on end. Um, property damage, kids in our house. It, it, like, it was beyond. It was beyond normal. There was no normal anymore. So, um, it, you know, it, it, it eventually evolved to that point. And unfortunately, we hit a point where both boys were asked to leave the home. And that's a very, very, um, I don't wish that on anyone. Mm-hmm. And I wish that is not something that we had to go through or they had to go through. There was just nothing else left to do. There was nothing else left to do. And it was becoming not really safe or um, 
a place of home was not a place that I wanted to come to. Right. And it wasn't good for any of us. So it, you know, it, it, our journey did hit different points along there. But I do believe that those were all parts of the story that had to happen in order to get to places where we had to make decisions. Right, right. And mm-hmm. you and you talk about um, the importance of personal values and boundaries. And I think maybe in this day and age, um, um, like I'm thinking when my parents young. Uh, kicking kids out of the house that were not productive, going to school and or working was was like commonplace. Like your neighbor, it happened say, a lot. Your neighbor yeah. wouldn't say you shouldn't have kicked Johnny out of the house because he's been sitting at home not going to school for a year. Um, right. But then in this day and age, for instance, I'm married. My wife had a couple of kids. Uh, we had uh, for several years some disagreement on. Uh, whether to kick one out of the house or not, uh, older mm-hmm. one, and uh, uh, to two friends of mine, well, family member and a friend of mine, um, my wife ended up getting in a, a year or more of upset at these two people who said, who did, in fact, in, kick their own sons out of the house, mm-hmm. and it ended up good. The sons turned around and now are leading very useful, productive, positive lives. But mm-hmm. just the suggestion of it to my wife uh, had her ticked off from those two people for a while until she came to and saw, you know, that they were speaking from their own personal experience that they did it with their son. And so uh, personal values are very important. And yet if other parents in this day and age have all of their various opinions about what you should do yes. with your kids and your values and your boundaries and uh, they're often not very good at keeping those thoughts in their head they love mm-hmm. to share it especially if they're against what you're doing so yes. talk about that the importance of personal values and boundaries for you and your husband and your sons and I, people it, who butt no, into the story <laughs> no no it's great because um the boundaries took me a while to really be clear on. Um, and it's funny because before this had happened, I had attended a course, and I realized this when I was, as I was writing a book earlier this year, that I attended a course maybe a year before that happened. And it was a very intensive course on determining what your values were. And um, it, I would say that was very instrumental in my life, that course was. And the fact that, you know, I could really boil down that for me, life was about, um, you know, faith, uh, fun, fitness, health, family, um, commitment, integrity, and fulfillment. Those were my um, main values. And then all of a sudden, about two years into our journey, I'm realizing that like, I'm not living by any of them. Like, I'm just not, that's not living by any of them at all. And those are all who I am. And they became the core for me making decisions in my life about what to do next. And, you know, whether it was work, personal, whatever. And so that became my cornerstone for making decisions. And in this situation, we, boundaries, I really didn't understand boundaries. And we, as we started to go through, you know, group counseling, parent counseling, they go through, you know, write the list of what the rules are in the house and what to expect. And you have the kids sign it. And if they don't, um, don't adhere, then you ask to leave. 
Well, the thing with boundaries is is that it, first off, you know, you have to get to the spot where I mean, our our list of things that were expectations in the house became down to like five simple things. It was just there was nothing more than that. It wasn't we weren't fighting over dishes, we weren't fighting over mm-hmm. chores. Right. We were fighting over like go to school, no drugs, no property damage, like no right. disrespect and curfew. Like it that was it, like it was really simple. But we got to the point with that we had to really learn the hard way that don't put something down as boundaries or expectations if you have no intention of following through. I mean, we can say anything as parents as what we expect and what we do, but I think any, most parents can understand and admit that the follow-through is a challenge. Of course it is. It's, you know, it's, we're not dealing with timeouts anymore. We're dealing with much, much bigger issues. And um, so boundaries had to become a key thing. And when, I really, when we really started to reinforce those boundaries was when it became crystal clear that this was their choice, not mine. And if they did, as, as we would hear, most teens would say, you know, it's my life. I can do what I want. I can make my own choices. I can decide what I want. That... The, if that's the part of like a universal law that we all that they have a choice, then then I also had a choice. And so if I had a choice, I could choose what I lived in, what I was around, what my environment was. And when I started to really embrace part of that boundary was that I had a choice. It, I mean, it literally changed the game for me. And I and and as hard as it is, there are many people that are offended by hearing that you have a choice because they're like, no, this is not. I didn't ask for this life, and this is not what I wanted. But we always have a choice in how we choose to deal with what we have. And when I started to embrace that I had a choice in it, um, it became very different. So things became very black and white, that these are the rules, you agree to them. If you don't meet those rules, then you can't stay here. And it was just, it became um, almost that black and white. And my boundaries became very clear for me. I mean, again, as a female, these are boys, they're big boys. And, you know, it's um, love my boys dearly. But in this point in time, this was, this was a really scary time. And if I felt threatened or uncomfortable or just, you know, disrespected to a point that I was in fear in some way, shape, or form, and again, we weren't living under any normal circumstances, what anyone would consider like normal disrespectful teenage. We were way past this point. Um, if I felt I was there, I either left they left or the police came. That's really how black and white our life came. It became. And um, it sounds harsh. It sounds mean. A lot of people might not understand it. But that was that was the path that we hit about the three-year mark for us. And um, in doing so, I think in the, the backdoor way of doing it is that what happens is, is that they realize that we all have a choice in life. We can all choose how we live our life. And we can choose what we do with our life. And so it's, it, yes, it's, it, I mean, there's many points in the journey that it was very ugly and very tough, but boundaries truly saved me. Now, boundaries also saved me not even with my kids. They saved me in many situations where I, I could choose who I spent my time with. I could choose who I was around. And as soon as a person would start into criticism and um, judgment, I just kind of went, you know what? pretty sure you're not walking in my shoes. And I would turn around and I would leave. Like, and, I, and I didn't leave being upset and angry and hurt. I just left and went, that's not my person. That's not my people that I need to be around. And I would go to the next. That's how clear I became on my boundaries. And I, I've defined it as the inner circle of who I choose to spend my time with, my energy with, because my energy was low. It was rock bottom low. So 
I didn't need to be around people who were carelessly and meanfully taking, um, taking away from me because I just didn't have the energy for that. So if, I, if that's what I was around, I just chose and decided that, no, I'm, I'm not going to be there. This is not what I do. And I walk away from it. And I would tease that even family didn't get a pass. Nobody got a pass. I chose my inner circle every day, and that thing evolved all the time. And I guard that like it's gold because it is gold. Right. And as much as, you know, there were a, a number of people in the beginning stages that we did tell this to, and then it became a big gossip story, and it became a big, you know, spread. And, you know, again, I don't share any anger with that because I truly believe that this had to happen in a sense for me to have some people leave my life so that some amazing people could come in. And that's what happened. I mean, some unbelievable people that I never knew before this um, are now my closest friends to date and would trust them with anything. So boundaries, honestly, ironically, yes, they saved me in the situation, but I live my life by them now. They, they guide, help me to guide in decisions and where I spend my time and energy. Right, right. And we'll get back to uh, finding the your tribe and the right people to hang out with uh, yeah. later. But uh, uh, one thing you must have had to do, uh, one thing I'm an amazing, somewhat expert or blessed with uh, because of my extremely strong faith, but at some point you have to uh, surrender and let go of what you can't control and own what you can control. And my wife, uh, for the first number of years when we were married, was enormously fascinated at how I or never nervous because I said, listen, God has it under control. That's way better than me having it under control. (laughs) And if it's something that I can control, I'm pretty confident in my ability to at least take massive action to control it, get it under control, learn it, do whatever I have to do. And so uh, why, why worry, why fret, why ruin my life when I can just surrender it, let God look after the situation or the person. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that I can control, then stop procrastinating, fretting, worrying, and just do what I can control. And you must have had to learn that, the power of surrender and letting go of what you really can and cannot control. And you had alluded to or said it earlier, not alluded. Even if they're they're your kids, you can control them when they're young because you're physically able to. But when they're older, you cannot control them. No, and, and I mean, as I say, with the control piece, like we really want our kids to be able to be able to function in the outside world, right? Like they, I mean, so if we control every single aspect of every single decision they make, eventually, like they can't function. They have, we have, they ha- they do have to learn how to function in the outside world. Um, surrender is funny because I will tell you to this day that the word surrender is probably the thing I resisted the most, which is the exact thing that I had to do. And you know, you hear people say that whatever you resist will persist, and it did. And surrender was, um, as again, the type A person who looked at being able to fix problems, work harder, dig in, do all those things, that surrender, to me, the definition meant quitting. It meant giving up. It meant losing hope. It meant these are my kids. How can I give up on them? I can't give up on them. And um, to me, I, yeah, I did have to learn that the very hard way. And it is part of my story that we almost lost both of our boys in a matter of days apart. 
and you know we had two fears. One was either um, suicide or overdose, and both virtually um, happened a few days apart, and they happened in our home. So that became the eyeball, the eye opener that we are. Um, I I can't protect them from the world because this happened in my home, and it, so I can't even I can't protect them and I can't stop it. And when we went through that experience, it was an absolute moment of such such 100% clarity that I cannot control this anymore. This is not mine to fix. I have done every single thing possible. There is nothing left that I can do, and I cannot stop it. And I can't stop it. And in fact, what's going to happen is that, in a sense, I'm almost helping it because I'm preventing it from going in the direction that it's it's going to go, and I know that sounds very strange, but I was just, there was nothing I was physically doing that was stopping, fixing, or changing the situation. It, it right. had a course of its own, and I've always been a very faith-based person, um, and I'm not going to lie, when we started to go through this, my faith changed, and I, because I was too angry. I was angry that, what did I do wrong? Mm. And, you know, why is this happening to us, and, and why, why me, why them, mm-hmm. why all of us? And I couldn't get out of the why. I couldn't get out of the why questions. And the why was killing me because it was, it just, there was no answer I could have gotten right. that would have made it a good answer anyways. So I learned how to surrender because it was the last thing I could do. There was nothing else to do. And when I did, combining that with boundaries, combining that with, um, you know, being clear on what I chose to be around, whose choice was this, it surrender became it just saved me it truly saved me because i realized that i couldn't fix them i couldn't change this but i had to start to take charge of what i could control and that was me and there was there was just nothing else left that i could do so the one thing i resisted for the longest time was the exact thing that i had to do right right and now you're sharing your story let's talk about tribe of friends okay uh, uh, we have to find our tribe because there's people that are going to be for us and for against. So in my case, for instance, let's say I have rheumatoid arthritis since I'm five, yes. every joint from my jaw to my toes, four hips, four knees, two shoulders replaced. So when I lead arthritis, when I lead arthritis society workshops, there's my, there's one of my tribes. Right. Those people know, they know that just standing in front of that room, whatever, they know that I'm extremely tired. They know I'm fatigued. If you fight chronic pain, you are in constant fatigue. Whereas an ordinary person, like a regular friend, would not know uh, at every moment that you're very tired because fighting pain requires that, or causes that. And then they wouldn't know some of the ins and outs of managing pain, managing how to do things physically when you're physically unable to do them. So when I'm in front of those people and around those people, I can let my hair down. They share tips with me. I've had arthritis for 48 years, and sometimes I learn tips from them. Uh, one lady said, oh, for your hands, you get their yellow dish gloves, put Vaseline on your hands, put them in the gloves, put them in hot water in your sink. I was like, wow, I've had arthritis 48 years. I never heard of this way to get some relief in my hands. And so mm-hmm. there's a tribe of mine, Napoleon Hill fans, or people are tribes of mine because they love to talk about purpose and goals and positivity, whereas <clears throat> other tribes like 
I don't read the news. I don't talk about the weather. No. I don't talk about anyone who cut me off in traffic. I don't talk about any negativity. And so there's some tribes who just thrive. Oh, here, so-and-so got killed at this street today. And so those are not my tribe. But when you no. find your tribe, when you find your tribe when you're in trouble or challenged with something, you can get a lot of hugs, a lot of blessing, mm -hmm. a lot of ideas, a lot of support, a lot of encouragement, and uh, uh, and, and that's when it's nice to share. And then once you've gone through it, now you're a little bit more of an expert after these number of years, then you become part of, you're able to be part of someone else's tribe who is just coming across this, and you'll be able to speak into their life better than other parents who aren't going through it and are throwing gibberish at them and so talk about talk about finding your tribe because it's so important when you need the help and it's so important when you've learned it yourself and can help other people absolutely um tribes are yeah yeah i would say my my i've always been a very social person loves being around friends loves spending time with other people um, you know, I still like my introvert quiet time too, but um, I certainly was. And when this really started, I mean, I just hid. I hid from the world. I didn't talk personal stuff. I didn't, you know, and as again, as a, as a trainer and, and a kinesiologist, I had to put my game face on all day with clients. They didn't come to listen to me talk about my stuff. So I felt like I was living two lives. I was faking everything. And that's exhausting. And so I hid for a long time. And when I finally, in order, I really believe whether you've gone through anything as um, critical as my story or as challenging as your story can be at times, you cannot find your tribe if you're not going to be vulnerable. Can't happen. You just, right. you just can't. It's, it's. There's lots of fake tribes out there, but they're never going to give you the support that you you need and reciprocal. So. I had to be vulnerable, and I had to be vulnerable and reach out and tell some friends that I trusted that I, I was really struggling, and I didn't know what else to do. And I, in, in opening up and sharing my story, um, I have crossed paths with some incredible people who I, I couldn't even imagine being with them now. And so your tribe is there to support you and have your back, and not a tribe, and this is just my opinion, not a tribe of in let's just get together and complain and bitch and <laughs> whine and not that. I mean, there are people who do that and that's fine. That is not what I needed. I need, and even to this day, I have some, I just have a, a fantastic tribe of friends that, you know, I could even call and say, okay, I've been struggling for the last couple of hours. I can't get my head to get in the right spot. I'm not, I'm just being, I mean, I don't like where I am and they'll help me to flip that switch and get more positive and not stress and not worry about the future and live right now. And I would do the same for them. So that, I think the thing is, is that you have to be vulnerable in order to find your tribe because you've got to, you got to know what you're looking for and your tribe realizing that, I mean, there's 7 billion people on the planet. So we're meeting new people every single day that your tribe is forever changing and forever growing, expanding, shrinking, whichever direction it goes. But you need to be open to meeting people. So, you know, I, I, I would say vulnerability first is extremely important in order to find that tribe. And then you also have to be open to receiving and open to um, a part of being vulnerable, but open to receiving and meeting new people and open to receiving the help. And I think that a lot of women, again, I'll pick on the women for a second, 
is we're not great on that. We tend to, you know, we judge as far as how well is a mom doing and what do they juggle and how much they're doing and all these things that, you know what, maybe she's just like secretly dying inside because she really needs some help. But it's, it's, we've got this stupid measure that we put people up to of what we expect everybody to be able to achieve and do. And half the time it's not attainable. And I think there's a world full of people who are stuck and miserable right now because they want to say, look, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And I'm trying to be okay, but I'm not okay. And they need to find their tribe who they can speak that with. And again, the tribes don't have to be huge. I love how you said that, is that you have multiple different tribes, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I have a group of moms that I've connected with who have dealt with addictions in their teens and with um, some who've lost their kids. And so, I mean, I've got that tribe. I've got my personal tribe of friends. I have my fitness tribe of friends. I've got, but they all really have a lot of the same features, qualities, Mm -hmm. and values. And I think that's, again, I, would, I don't take the time to watch the news and watch the, I just don't, I just don't choose to. It's not what I choose to put my, my energy and my time. And I would, I absolutely 100% would say I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for my tribes and me being open to meeting new people and stepping out there. So, I mean, I would say for a person, if you feel alone, it is, you're not, I promise you, you're not. And if you feel as if no one understands you, um, it's not true. You just haven't reached out enough because Mm -hmm. we're not alone. None of us are. And we're not meant to go through this world struggling, like clawing our way through every single day, miserable and hating life. We're not meant to do that. We're not. And we're not meant to do it alone. So Tribe is a massive part of the foundation that I kind of built myself back up on. Excellent. I love it. Now, one of Napoleon Hill's 17 principles of success is learning from adversity and defeat. It's one of my favorite because it's one that I live. And so part of becoming a Napoleon Hill instructor is you're supposed to design your purpose. And when I got around to doing that, I actually did it wrong at first, but then someone coached me and helped me and evaluated my life. My purpose is to possible to live positively with and through the many and varied challenges of life but guess what Marsha when I found out what that purpose was and I know I really believe if Jesus was on the other side of my desk which would be quite the meeting uh, that uh, he would share the same document I've written down beside my desk as to what my purpose is that's just the first sentence it's fairly long but I was discouraged when I realized it's my purpose because in real life friends that I've known a long time, my church friends, my family friends, my family. I never talk about arthritis. If I am having a discussion about arthritis, I consider it a personal failure. They know I'm sore. They know Mm -hmm. I have it. Me telling them I'm sore and where I'm sore that day or the struggle I'm having doesn't help them. It doesn't help me. Basically, my friends and family just know I have it. They acknowledge it. And if if I talk about it, they might talk about it, but other, I, they know I'm not going to talk about it, and they figure for me it's like a stupid thing to talk about when there's so many other positive things in the world. Mm-hmm. And so when you uh, sometimes you find your gift in adversity, and you don't even like the gift, like as if mm-hmm. you would have, <laughs> as if you would have chosen this adversity or that tribe or this gift you now have 
perhaps have right. some knowledge that you could help others, you would have been like, that is sucky. Give me another <laughs> gift. Give me another <laughs> purpose. Give me another reason. Um, but you do have to find the gift in your adversity. Otherwise, you're, you're gonna, your brain is going to fry and your life is not going to be that great. Oh, 1,000%. I, when I finally hit a point where maybe about three years ago, I really started writing and really, really writing and brain dumping and getting things out of my head and, you know, really starting to understand what was going on and that, no, I did not do something wrong and nobody did anything wrong. It was just a matter of choices. Mm -hmm. And um, when I really went through that, the word that kept coming up for me was gift. And so you can imagine, here I am. This Pretty crappy point. gift. I, no kidding. And I mean, the word kept coming up to me. I kept writing it. It was gift. I'm like, how in the world can I call this a gift? How in the world? How can I even say it's a gift? How can I tell anyone it's a gift? Like, it's like really. But it kept coming up to me. And it was the fact that in order for me to move forward, I had to believe that everything happens for a reason and everything helps to create my next step, my next step in life, who I become, what I do. So we are made up of not only the good things that happen to us, we're made up of all of the lessons that we've learned, all of the experiences that we've had, and they all combine together to make us who we are. So are there other gifts in every single adversity? Yes, and that's actually, ironically, I, probably why I connected so well to your story is the fact that I decided when I went through with my life coaching and um, where I was going to take this, that I didn't want to be a life coach. I wanted to be a life adversity coach. Like, mm -hmm. how do we get through something when, you know, adversity is knocking at your door to the point that you just want to be buried? What do you do next? That's what I wanted to do was help people to get through those steps. And so in doing the writing, I mean, I really started to look at it and think that, okay, so I, I do help people find their courage and their clarity and their confidence again. You know, and I say it to, to find the gifts in their adversity, to turn their um, adversity into their greatest gifts. And that can hit a lot of nerves for people. I, I know that. I know it does. Um, but at the end of the day, I have chosen, it's my choice, I've chosen to look at the lessons that I've learned and to... Um, use them to continue to help myself and to help others through challenging situations. You know, a good friend of mine, again, member of my tribe, she said, you know, do you not think that you are at a different phase of life that you can, you've kind of made it to the other side, if that makes sense, that you can logically look at things, you know how to um, reason through it, you don't own it, right? You just, you stand on your story, you share it, you you own your own choices. I said, I think so. And she said, then you have a moral obligation to share that. That's your gift. And I just went, it, it, and this was while I was writing the words gift, that I went, maybe that's what it is. And maybe that's what it is. And the fact that if I do do this, and I do speak up, and I go first, that it will continue to help others to go first when they are dealing with difficult stories and difficult um, situations. And I believe one of the one of the selfish reasons why I started to call it gifts and be able to share the story is it didn't take me long to realize that my I mean I wasn't going to be the person to change the circumstance for my boys they are but it wasn't going to be me and essentially it was probably going to be somebody else who crossed their path that's all I pray for is the right person would cross their path and if I could create a scenario where I could 
speak and share more and be more vulnerable, maybe that would light the way for others to continue to do the same. And if that happened, then who knows, maybe that person would cross their path. That's kind of how I started to look at it in the beginning. So, you know, I really, and, and I mean, again, in, in this, the gifts in it is is that, you know, I love my boys. They're, they're, they're great kids. I love them. Um, did they take the path that I would have wanted them to take? No, but it's not my path. It's right. theirs. And, I mean, I love them. They know that every time I see them. Get a hug, kiss, love you, still get that. And they respect the fact that this is, you know, this is this is a choice. And we all get to choose how we live our life. And I can't have their journey for them. It's their journey. And it's not mine. And they, I can love them through their journey. I can... Um, respect them for who they are. They're great kids. Um, but I choose what I am around. And so that's kind of basically where that comes to. But in a really weird, warped kind of way, yeah, it was a gift. It was a gift. It was a lesson I would have never, ever, ever learned the lesson of surrender if it wasn't for this, if I didn't have to. Right. People ask me that. How did you learn it? I'm like, I had no choice. Right. Sometimes was, when you have was, no choice. God God no. teaches you things when you have like no choice at all. You're like, okay, God, nothing I, else left. I no, can't do so this. It's, it's up to you. Yep. So yep. just at least help me out here. And so that's yep, an that's amazing what I did. Amazing thing to learn. Everybody's gonna encounter adversities, but if you learn and grow through your adversity, then it could be a gift to the next person who goes exactly. through a similar adversity or who you come across in your life who you could bless with the silly gift of the adversity you've already been through. And well if it helps someone easy. feel yeah, if it helps someone feel not so alone. That's my thing. Right. If I can go first and be that and, and be that gift for somebody and share that gift, if it helps someone feel not so alone in life and not that I mean no one understands where I'm at, then that it's I, I'm supposed to share that. I, so that's why I speak. That's why I speak and that's why I do what I do because I do, if it can help others, it actually helps me on my journey too. Right. Amen. Now, uh, silly me getting this far, uh, uh, we talked about before the show, thank God your website is not Marsha and your full last name. You are smart <laughs> enough to know that people would uh, confuse the heck out of that. And so it's yes. just MarshaVanW.com, is it? Yes. Yes. Marsha Van like Van W like yes. W dot com. Yes. Yes. dot com is where you can find out more about you and uh, lots of parents. Uh, not only here in Ontario where we live, but all of Canada, the U.S., probably the world, going through what uh, you are going through, pulling hair out, fighting with spouses, trying to figure out what to do about the situation. They should reach out to you. Uh, uh, um, add you to their tribe. Uh, you can help them with uh, some other people to add to their tribe. But MarshaVanW.com. Uh, touching story, hard to deal with, uh, hard to see it as a gift. Um, especially difficult when it's both your sons. If you got if you got one good mm -hmm. one and bad one, one good one and one bad one, you could like okay, sod it off in the middle. But when it's both, it's especially challenging. And so, congratulations for opening up, for finding your tribe, for now being able to serve other people coming into the tribe, um, and all the different things that you've had to go through to make sure that 
uh, something you can't control isn't ruining your life and your husband's life and even your marriage. And so thank you so much, Marsha Van W. Dot com. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Tom, for having me. It's been my pleasure. Have an amazing day. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtutall.com for details.